Welcome this morning to our, our time of worship together as a church, as we gather, as we listen to God's word. And I pray this morning that your hearts are open to hear the word of God and to hear what the Lord has to give you. Okay, you're not here, uh, I don't think you're here just out of coincidence, somehow you, you, know, you decided in your mind that you'd get up and come to church. I uh, believe, and my faith is, that God has a word for you, and I pray that you would receive the word that God has for you this morning. A couple of things I want to share with you just came to mind that I want to share with you before I open God's word this morning is uh, I, I live close to uh, the RSL and I woke up this morning to the sounds of um, beautiful voice singing live Advanced Australia Fair because of Anzac Day and it was, it was beautiful I listened I was you know I was listening to it as I was laying in bed and it was just not you know a few not too many meters away from our house um, and I guess I couldn't help but re- re- be reflecting and remembering, uh, thinking to myself, what an incredible cost, what an amazing cost that uh, people endured uh, in that time, you know. And uh, to think about the, 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 the suffering that so many people had to face, uh, those who either went to war or even all the families back at home, to think the, amaz- the, the suffering that they, they, just think about it for a moment, you know, just... The pain and the suffering, not for months, but we're talking years, you know, in there. And I guess it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge that uh, um, that was one big sacrifice, wasn't it? It was one big sacrifice. And, and, we, and we know we can make parallels. We know we can make parallels to, to the greatest sacrifice ever made uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. But certainly for those who suffered and endured, it was uh, one really big sacrifice. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. It's an absolute privilege and blessing to come together in your name. And you say wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst of us. Thank you, Lord, that you're in the midst of us this morning. You are here, Lord Jesus, a very present help. And you are here to teach us and to encourage us. And we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. All that is said and done, may it come from you and that our hearts are open to receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to read from um, a passage in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you open up your Bibles to at least that, that chapter, um, and we'll get to that chapter in a moment. So 2 Kings in the Old Testament, a man called Elisha, now some might say Elisha, some may say Elisha, I'll probably get it muddled up today, but just for the want of a better word, we'll just use the word Elisha uh, this morning. A prophet of God, and, 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 and experience. he had an extraordinary, extraordinary relationship with God. And his faith is a real, wonderful reflection of the faith that we're called to have as Christians. And though our faith may be evident differently, may be seen differently to the experience of Elisha here, nonetheless, it's still a faith that we're called to have. And this extraordinary man who shows us what it takes to walk with God, what it takes to to follow the Lord. So um, we'll read a short passage in, um, in 2 Kings in, in a moment. But I think none of us here this morning would, would disagree with me if I was to say to you that, you know, sometimes when you go through life, sometimes there are seasons of life where, where life just, just seems really complicated. 
It's really complicated. You sit down, you think about what's going on in life, you think about a circumstance in your life, and you think about what is happening here. What, what, I can't even make sense of this scenario. I can't even make sense of this situation. And it gets kind of complicated or confusing. And, and there could be a whole number of reasons why this, this complication, if you like, can, can rise up in your heart. You know, there may be things that you're trying to overcome in your life. There may be habits in your life that you're trying to, trying to work through and just seem to always haunt you. And you think, what's, what's going on? I don't get it. It's not meant to be like this. Or there's particular, particular sins that you're shameful of, that you, that you know shouldn't be there, and, and you continue to repeat them. And you think to yourself, what, what's happening? It's not what I understand that this, this message to be. And, and it gets all complicated because you think, you know, what, what I'm hearing and what I'm experiencing don't, are not lining up. Well, sometimes there's those feelings of shame or guilt in your life and you think, boy, you know, I wish I, wish I never did this. And the guilt and the shame are so, so entangling or so wrap, wrap around you so much that you can't seem to wash it, you can't seem to get rid of it or wash it off you. And I suspect there are people in this room that feel, feel something like that from time to time or maybe even feeling like that now. Or even when sometimes you feel like, feel like life, like, like you're, just, you're doing it on your own. You just feel like you're just doing it on your own. And today seems hard, but tomorrow seems impossible. And I suspect there are people in this room uh, this morning or even listening on Zoom today that, that in some, some shape or form either are experiencing one of these things today or have have experienced them or know what it feels like to experience these things and, and the sense of complication that comes with experiencing these things. But I want to share with you this morning something we call the gospel. Because this phrase we call the gospel is a beautiful word. This phrase we call the gospel, when interpreted, it means something like good news or the good message. And I want to share with you this gospel or the good news or this good message because it's a message that comes and with, this, with this most very, very unique way is able to penetrate and somehow break apart the confusions and the complications of life and bring in the, in the end of all things the face of Jesus who's able to heal and restore. Because it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good message. And we're going to read today about someone who I thought I think brings, if you like, this, this good news, this good message. And what's remarkable about this good message, it's actually, if you can call it the greatest message or a great message. And yet, despite the fact that it's so great, yet there are many who remain blind to it. And yet there are many to this great news that we go through life sometimes and we, we find we are short-sighted. We can't even see it. Yet it's so great. Yet we find our hearts and our minds are, are not able to, to fully grasp visually this idea. We, we can't see how great this news is. We get glimpses of it. We understand a little bit on a Sunday, a little bit on a Wednesday, Thursday, other times. We get glimpses of it, but we, but we don't see And we know we don't see it completely because life remains complicated and confusing and we find ourselves trapped or continue to be trapped in the things that we don't want to be trapped to. The Bible tells us when it talks about the work of the enemy, veiling, if you like, 
closing the eyes of those that are perishing. It says this, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Listen to the language. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the enemy has this kind of has this kind of trick up his sleeve. What he does, he goes around and he puts like blindfolds on people. Ever played a game with blindfold? And you think to yourself, you know, it's part of being blindfold is this sense of well, well not knowing where you are, but this sense of almost being afraid of what you're going to knock into, what it's going to go run around you, are you safe, and all those sorts of things. And what the enemy does, he has this trick up his sleeve where he blindfolds people so they can't see the glorious light of God's gospel. And I believe though he's speaking, I would imagine primarily of the, of the non-Christian, I think what the enemy does, he goes around and will willingly give you a blindfold if you take it. So that you become short-sighted, we become short-sighted of this glorious light of the gospel of Christ, lest it shine on you. And I'm sad to think sometimes that even in the church, there are people who hear but remain short-sighted. Can you see? Can you see the gospel, the glory of Christ and all his glory that shines on you? We're absolutely privileged just by knowing Christ. Our brother Tony shared on yesterday morning during prayer how, how privileged we are that God would actually choose us. Just think about that for a moment. That he would choose us. That even that to bring us into his fold, if you like, and to bring us into his home in itself is uh, something that ought to humble us and rejoice us in the heart. So this good news, this gospel, is something that we ought to understand, if you like, um, cherish. Why is it good news? Let me share with you another couple of verses. Let me tell you one reason why it's good news. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I apologize, I'm not going to give you much of the context of these verses, but I want you to get the gist of these verses here. Paul is saying here, someone loved you. And because he loved you, he made you more than a conqueror. Meaning there are times in life where you feel like you know, things are getting really hard, the battle's really tough, but God is reminding us, you know, in these battles of life, not only do you conquer, but you are more than this because he loved you. That's got to bring good news into our heart. That's got to stir up something in our lives to realize that the battle is intense and that the enemy seems large and so the situation seems um, something that we can't get over. The Bible says, you know what, remember that because he loved you, you're more than someone who conquers. It's like another level. And how does he do this? How do we know and why is this the case? Listen to another verse in Romans. When Paul says, and what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that for a moment, Romans 8.31. If God is for you, if you say God is on your side, then not only, not, only, not only are you more than a conqueror, but if God is on your side, then who? Who in the world can even be against you? Who can stand against you? Who can even... Try and defeat you. No one, it's, not, not impo- it's not possible. It's not possible because the God of this universe, the God of creation, the God who made all things is on your side. 
So Paul, Paul is trying to remind us that in all these things in life, you have a God who makes you more than a conqueror and you have a God who's on your side. So there's nobody that's going to even try and come against you because who's going to be against you? Who's going to even um, um, be brave enough to come against you? So when there are habits, you can't stop. When there is sin, you can't let go of. When there is despair that you feel is all too much. When you feel like you're doing life alone. What can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we don't come with a sword and with weapons. Come on, who's going to come against me? We don't come like that. We don't come with sword, we come with surrender. And this sweet surrender, Lord, it's yours. And the Lord comes with his great and mighty hand. That's why the Bible says it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the believer comes in his heart knowing and her, knowing in their hearts that God is on their side to conquer and to be more than a conqueror in these circumstances. So in Second King, we see a scenario where someone's short-sighted for a moment and Elisha steps up and helps and prays and said, Lord, help him to see, which is a prayer that I want to pray for us this morning, that we would see clearly the glory of God in our circumstances and the power of God in our circumstances to know that we are more than conquerors in him. But if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, he's on your side. And if he's with you, who can be against you? This is not a speech of motivation. This is a speech of truth. A God who restores, conquers, breaks, and heals. Listen to this story here, 2 Kings, um, 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start from verse 8. It's an interesting story. It's remarkable to think of this relationship that, 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 um, um, that Elisha had with the Lord. But of course, it's in a time when there's battles going on. There's Israel coming up against Syria and there's other places coming up against the other. And so we know that Israel's in a time here. It's in a context where there's lots of wars and battles happening. And it says in verse 8, Now the king of Syria was was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, My camp will be in such... A such a place. And the man of God, that's Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the, to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice okay so just to it's a little bit confusing but just to make it clearer you know there's the king of Syria who wants to come against Israel and of course what Elisha is aware of that is about to happen and he warns the king of Israel and so the king of Israel guards himself from what would have been an attack and it seems like it seems like that he did that more than once then the bible goes on to say because, of course, the king of Syria, kind of to him, it was like he was double-crossed maybe. Like someone in his own team went out and deceived him. Because who's going to know this information? 
So in verse 11 it says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's deceived me? Who told him where we're going to be? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Wow. This remarkable relationship Elisha had with God. When the king of Israel, when the king of Syria was plotting and planning things in the secret of his room, it was all being revealed and disclosed to Elisha, and Elisha was able to make sure that Israel was protected. They had no chance. Bible says in verse 13, So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The king of Syria is thinking, fantastic, I've got him. I have got him. You know, this man who knows what I'm doing, this man who always somehow uh, uh, destroys my tricks and my plans, you know, I've got, I've got him in Dothan. I'm going to send a whole great army there, and this army is going to surround him. Where is he going to go? What's he going to do? I have worked it out that this man is going down. That's what a king of Syria wants to do. He wants to get him and destroy him. It's no different to the enemy in our lives who's on a a purpose and a mission to make sure that everything in life is going to be bigger and stronger than you to bring you down. Particularly the things that work within us and that war within us, the greatest war of life and that which is within us. So he sends this great army to surround Elisha and to make sure that Elisha is going to be captured and he's going to deal with him once and for all. This is the greatness of the situation. Verse 15, And when the servant and the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now remember, this is the servant of Elisha who goes out and he sees this massive amount of armies surrounding him and the servant's only thinking to himself, my goodness, what are we going to do here? My master, what are we going to do? There's the question, there's the doubt, there's the fear, there's the confusion. There's all these things in life that just seems way too big for me. And what the servant can only do is this, is to ask his master, what are we going to do? Because in his heart, there was no awareness. There was a sense of blindness and short-sightedness around this whole thing. All his faith could do was to see the circumstance and not be able to see beyond what was happening around him. That's what the enemy would have us do. And our faith all of a sudden becomes short-sighted and there's this blindness that comes up because all of a sudden all the knowledge that we know doesn't do anything for us to penetrate the greatness of what we perceive to be our situation. And God's saying, do you remember? Do you remember what I told you? Do you remember what I shared with you? Do you remember what I revealed to you? Do you remember the word that I've spoken to you? Do you remember things that you hear? And all these things just seem to be kind of have no impact. Because all of a sudden there is the inability to see again. But this morning, let's open our eyes again. Let's see. Let's see what God has been telling us. Let's see, let's see what God always has been telling us in our circumstances. He says, Master, what's going on here? There's questions, there's confusions. 
And Elisha answers and says to him, verse 16, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Is that faith? Does that sound similar to Romans 8.31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, don't fear. I want to tell you why not to fear. Because those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Imagine the, the servant thinking to himself, what's this guy talking about? What's he talking about? Those who are with us. Now, what's interesting about this is that Elisha is saying this as a statement of faith before he even prays anything. Because in his heart, he's believing and knowing that God is with them. And because God is with them, there is nothing that is going to come against the plan of God. There is nothing that's going to somehow destroy God's purpose and God's vision and God's plan for his people. And because of this, Elisha is able to declare it openly and confidently before he even prays anything. Because this is faith. And he's believing in his heart that if God, this is the God that he serves. These things we call an army that surrounds him is nothing to God. This thing we call the enemy is nothing to God. This thing that we call strong and mighty and powerful is really nothing to God. Because there's one purpose that God has in mind, and that is to complete the work that he's begun in us. Let it go. Let him complete it. Let it go. And let him finish the work that he's begun. And so Elisha here says, don't worry, don't fear, because there's, there's, there's more that meets the eye. There's more that you can see here. And then verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. From being so short-sighted, almost, almost blindness, if you like, to being able to see incredible amount of chariots and horses of fire surrounding what now is <laughs> probably a very weak army. But Lord, what is his prayer? Lord, open his eyes that he may see. How many of us need that prayer this morning? Lord, yeah, there are, there are things happening that I, in my, in my vision, I'm just, it's just all too much. That we would pray, Lord, open the eyes. They may see. That they may see that in Christ, they are more than conquerors. They may see that if God is for them, who can be against them? They may see they, they that are with them are more than they that are with them. They may see. Just how easy it is for the Lord to take and to move and to destroy whatever's getting in the way. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see the wondrous things from, my law, from your law. Why did he pray that prayer? Why did he pray in Psalm 119? He said, open my eyes, Lord, that I may see the wondrous things from your law. Because sometimes, it, of course the psalmist can see, but sometimes we read, but we don't see. <laughs> we read, but we don't believe. We see it, but we don't comprehend it. 
We, we kind of get it, but it does nothing to move us to, to greater faith. And the psalmist prayed a very beautiful prayer that I pray this morning. You would also pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. What's common in these stories I'm about to share with you? You tell me what's common in these stories. You think about what's common in these stories. Daniel, a servant of God, is only doing the right thing by God. Ends up, because of his faithfulness, ends up in a den full of hungry lions. What's he meant to do? Is he meant to negotiate with the lions? Hey, lion, come, put his pussy cat, come. Is he meant to negotiate? Is he meant to try and somehow tame the lions in his own strength? Of course not. The whole image is meant to tell us he's got nothing left in him. True? That's the whole reason the story is given to us, to demonstrate to us there's absolutely nothing Daniel can do to get himself out of this situation because it strips us of every false um, notion that we are able to sanctify ourselves, to set ourselves free, to get the peace we're looking for, to find the strength we're looking for, to find the healing we're looking for. Because nothing. And so what Daniel does for us in this story, it reminds us how God continues to work in situations, placing his people in situations to remind them and to open their eyes that only in him they can be free. And of course, Daniel knows, we know the Bible says the angels came and shut the mouths of lions to show how great and powerful God is. What about the story of the three... um, the three men that were thrown into the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they were being thrown into the fire, again, for righteous reasons. They're thrown into the fire. What's this story meant to show us? Well, again, they're not going to be able to do anything to quench the fires around them. Nothing in their ability was going to be able to quench that fire around them because that fire was so hot that even those people who threw them into the fire died because of the heat. And here they were walking in the fires around them. And the Bible, again, is telling us this story to remind us that nothing in their ability and their capacity is going to be able to somehow ease the heat of this fire. Nothing. Until a fourth begins to walk with them. And there is the power of God. That not only their clothes smelt of smoke. Think, oh, these are just... Nice little cute stories. No, they're to remind us, brothers and sisters, when you feel sick of the habit you can't stop and the sin you can't get rid of and the loneliness that continues to haunt you, that God is there, ready to deliver from that circumstance. What about Gideon? Look at another story. What, again, similarities. When Gideon is asked to fight against the enemy and all of a sudden he goes, probably in his heart, he's thinking, yeah, I can do this, God. I can do it, God, because I've got 32,000 men. And maybe with 32,000 men and in his ability, he's thinking to himself, I've got this. And all of a sudden God says, oh, hang on, Gideon. Come, let's talk. You've got too many men. Imagine Gideon Gideon thinking to himself, God, do you want us to win this or not? Yeah, but you've got too many men. 
So in the first process of elimination, 20,000 men walk away. So he's left with about 10. So maybe getting in his heart, thinking to himself, we could probably still do this. And in the next process of elimination, 9,700 men leave. So Gideon's left with 300. Now Gideon has to say to himself, can I do this? And who am I going to trust in? He goes from 32,000 men down to 300 men, and no longer is he going to boast about his ability, but he's only going to boast in the one who's able to do it. And that's why God says to Gideon this. He says this. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And this is, beloved, listen to me, brothers and sisters, this is probably one of the strongest, worst, horrible vice that Christians find themselves in. My own hand saved me. What God does, he begins to strip us of our own ability in order to reveal his ability. So when you find yourself in a situation, you cry, you say, God, I just can't. And that's where you need to be. So that God can deliver and set you free. You see, he did it all. He, God does it again and again and again through scriptures. He's stripping people of their ability only to reveal his ability. You know what God's doing in these circumstances? He's actually training you for holiness and righteousness. That's his training. The Bible says in Psalm 144 verse 1, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He's not talking about a war. You go and cut someone's head off. God is training my hands for war and my fingers for battle because all these things in life and all these circumstances in life, he's training us to realize that the power and the strength is in him so because of him we are strong and overcome. Do you get that? He trains us for this. And what we, you know, who, who likes to endure training? Who likes the idea of being trained for something that's going to require a cost? Of course, this is, this is God who's working. He's blessed be the Lord, my rock, the psalmist says, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I'll say it again, brothers and sisters. That we would pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see not the greatness of the army around you, but the greater army that surrounds you. This is faith. And if you're here this morning and you know that there is secret sin in your life, and that and that army seems really strong then I want you to know that Jesus is here surrounding a greater army than the one you feel is strong. If there's repetitive sin in your life, sin that you just think, why do I keep doing this? Again, I want you to know that Jesus is here greater than your ability to conquer and to overcome. Don't walk away making reasons or excuses for things that God only wants to destroy and bring down for the sake of his glory.
that we may see that it's not our own hand that saved us, but his. If there are habits that you're still hiding, be done with it. There is one who is greater that surrounds. I pray this morning your eyes open to see not the habits that surround you, but the chariots that surround them. If there's a sense of despair that you feel ashamed of, how, could I, how can I be a Christian and, and feel such a deep sense of hopelessness? I feel ashamed of that. Then I want you to, I want you to know this morning, I want to pray for you this morning, that what, what feels like an army of hopelessness around you is only surrounded by the chariots of Jesus around them, ready to conquer. That you may see this morning the power of God. Jesus is here. If you look around and, 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 and see the power of God, then you see that it's not our ability, but the ability that God works in us. That's why in Romans, Paul says confidently, we are more than conquerors. I want to finish with a prayer that, that Paul writes in Ephesians. I want to read this out to you and then I want to pray for you. Pray for us. When Paul's writing to the Ephesians uh, in the New Testament, he says this to them. Listen carefully to what he says. He goes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Listen to what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Do you hear his prayer? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling beyond the enemy. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And listen, this is still his prayer. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Ephesians 1. That's his prayer. And that's my prayer for you this morning. If you're doing life on your own and without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are already in a defeated state. The enemy has succeeded in putting a veil over your eyes to convince you you don't need God. You can do it on your own. But sadly, you are perishing and your soul is perishing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I pray for you that your eyes may be enlightened and your understanding may be enlightened to the, to the knowledge and to the faith that he that surrounds you is greater than he that tries to trap you, if you like. That you may see more clearly that this um, surrender and genuine faith will set you free. Because the God who loved us 
made us more than conquerors. And that'll be my prayer for you, for us this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to bless his word. As we think about the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, we come with, not with a sword, but we come with a heart of surrender. Not with human wisdom, but we come with genuine faith. Believing the God who's able to deliver beyond what we can reason out. This is our God. And as the Apostle Paul says, that, our God, our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that our eyes of understanding are enlightened and that we may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this morning and I thank you for every word that you give us and every way that you speak to us. And Father, I pray this morning for those who feel surrounded by the weight of their sin or the shame of their sin, the repetition of their sin, Lord, the repetition of their habits, that today in the name of Jesus, their eyes are opened and they are delivered. Father, I pray if today there is shame around a sense of hopelessness and despair, that in the name of Jesus today, they would call out to you, and find your peace. Lord, it's beyond me. It's beyond this church. But it's not beyond you. You surround us far greater, far stronger than anything that is happening. Help us to see this, Lord. Open our eyes to see this. And as we believe, Lord, and we continue to walk in this victory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.